This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. It's a pleasure to welcome Jerry Snyder to the program. How are you doing, Jerry? Doing fine, Bob. Thank you. And yourself? Okay. Jerry Snyder is one of the founders of Historic Amsterdam League. He's was the vice president of that organization for its first two years, then president for the next three years. He's been a trustee of Historic Amsterdam League since 2014. Current president, by the way, is Dan Weaver. And for seven years, uh, Jerry and others, in, in particular uh, the other uh, co-founder of the Historic Amsterdam League, uh, Rob Von Hasselen, uh, but uh, Jerry and others have been putting out a calendar every year called Amsterdam Icons, and the 2018 calendar is out now. Uh, it's available. We'll tell you how to get it in a little bit. Um, what is the theme of this year's calendar, Jerry? Well, this year, this year we uh, we changed it up just a little bit. Uh, in previous years, we've gone mostly with uh, historic uh, buildings and places. This year, we went to uh, we went to a little bit different. We looked at an iconic year in the history of Amsterdam. We looked at 1918. So we did kind of a throwback to uh, Amsterdam in 1918 and what the events were and what life was, what was going on here for the people in 1918. Well, it was a very big year, and I must say, I think you outdid yourselves on the calendar and the way it looks now. Uh, it's uh, got a, a lot of color pictures, it seems to me, uh, and it's very lively as a, as a calendar. Well, we, uh, a couple of years ago, we, uh, we tried to do one with the industries where we did kind of a collage approach on the, uh, on the pictures rather than doing uh, one, just one picture per month and uh, took the same approach this year. I think uh, we learned a lot when we did that and tried to step it up a little this, this year. I think uh, I, visually, I think it's, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, there's a lot of information that tells a story visually as well as in the text this year. So I think there's a lot there for people to see, and every time you look at it, you probably notice something a little bit different. Uh, and 1918, of course, was the year uh, of the uh, prosecution and end of World War I. Uh, and also, it was the year of the influenza epidemic and, and more. Uh, I just want to walk through the, the months of your calendar. In January, you start off with automobile ads. I mean, this 1918 also seems to be the time that, how would you uh, say it, are autos or cars really taking off now? Uh, yeah, uh, it's things are, uh, the automobile is kind of coming of age. Uh, the Model T's been around for about 10 years now, so people are getting more and more used to them. Uh, there's uh, virtually dozens and dozens of manufacturers out there that are trying to make a name for themselves. There's names that... Uh, Names that are still with us, but there's a lot of names that disappeared into history that uh, never made it through, like, the Depression years or even uh, survived through the war years. So there's, uh, it, it's very interesting to go back and look at that. Uh, old cars are another one of my interests, so this was something that I wanted to take a look at. But also, 1918, virtually every aspect of everyone's life was impacted in one way or another by the war. And the United States had had just gotten into it a few months previously during 1917. Hadn't really impacted the auto industry all that much, but the auto industry was starting to see the impact, a little shortage of materials, a little shortage of manpower. Uh, so the ads were starting to reflect that. And as the one ad indicates there, the Ford dealer is saying, hey, if you want to get a car this year, you better order it now because we're starting to switch over our production to other things. So you better, uh, you better think about it now. And some of the other dealers are saying, hey, our cars are reliable, they're dependable. 
we build them right. It's the right thing to do to buy one of our cars because these are the warriors and you need our, our reliability and something dependable to, to get you through the hard times that might be coming up ahead. So it was kind of an interesting way to kind of roll into the new year, so to speak. Uh, no pun intended, but uh, kind of show things are things are changing a little bit from what the status quo would have been with, uh, you know, the normal lifetime. Uh, you're starting to see it impact people's people's lives a little bit more. The war is starting to uh, mm-hmm. war is starting to creep into everyday life. And in February, you take up the subject of prohibition, which didn't happen in 1918, but there was a vote that year and a big uh, advocate for prohibition of alcoholic beverages, uh, William Jennings Bryan, uh, spoke in Amsterdam, and you have uh, pictures of that. But I guess when the election uh, finally took place, Amsterdam voted to remain, as they used to say, wet. Yeah, definitely. uh, Definitely the... The, the Prohibition Amendment had been proposed uh, the previous year, but uh, needed ratification by the states to uh, amend the Constitution. So uh, locally, uh, there was a vote, a local option, they called it, uh, whether or not uh, you wanted, to, wanted your city or your town to remain, uh, you know, to be able to sell alcohol or whether they wanted to go dry. So there was a lot of local campaigning and lobbying to try to get various areas to vote to go dry while they were waiting for the states to ratify or not ratify the Prohibition Amendment uh, nationally. So uh, the dries, so to speak, those that supported the Prohibition, uh, brought William Jennings Bryan here to the city to speak on behalf of the uh, whole Prohibition movement. And uh, he came here in February and gave two, two speeches uh, to uh, promote the uh, prohibition movement uh, for the, and also to support voting for Amsterdam to go dry. Uh, apparently, he wasn't quite as persuasive as he was with some of his other speeches because, as you noted, Amsterdam uh, Amsterdam did vote to stay uh, to still issue licenses, stay stay one of the wet areas. Although Johnstown and Gloversville both voted to go dry, so I imagine we had a lot of people coming to Amsterdam from up in that area. Also, in uh, 1918. There was a major train wreck in uh, Amsterdam. It took place in April, and one of the trains involved was the uh, crack passenger train, the Empire State Express. Yes, uh, the Empire State Express. Uh, at, at that point, the Empire State Express was kind of the flagship, uh, the flagship uh, train, the passenger train for the New York Central and Hudson River Railroad. Uh, they started uh, started running back in 1891, actually, and that was what they called their name train. Uh, actually held the actually held the land speed record for uh, for 10 years. Uh, the train uh, supposedly, although uh, there's some question as it as to whether or not it was really accurate when it was timed, but supposedly in 1893 uh, the train hit 112 miles an hour running up uh, up along the Hudson River uh, and held that for 10 years. Um, but it was one of the one of the fastest uh, trains in the country, and uh, when the accident occurred here in the city, uh, it occurred right up on uh, right up on West Main Street, uh, near uh, right in front of where the old Bulwer's Brewery was on West Main, and actually a derailment of a freight train occurred, and there were so many trains running at the time when we had the four track mains running through here, two freight lines and two passenger lines that uh, when the freight train derailed. Uh, within uh, just a few minutes, uh, the Empire State Express 
coming from one direction, another passenger train coming from the other direction, both crashed into the wreckage before any any word could get out to, to halt either one of them. Mm. Uh, fort, fortunately, there were only two fatalities involved with it, uh, despite the fact that it was a major wreck with three trains, and that was both the uh, engineer and the uh, fireman on the locomotive for the Empire State Express. Both were, both were killed due to the accident. As I say, fortunately, no other, no other, uh, no other fatalities, although there were some serious injuries. Also in uh, 2018, in May, uh, the Barge Canal was finished. Um, now, uh, I mean, the Barge Canal was where they ca- canalized the Mohawk River. It's really what we uh, still have today. Uh, so that whole uh, project was uh, finished, in a sense, in time for uh, supplies uh, during World War One. Yes, uh, uh, that really was uh, the third third iteration of the Erie Canal, and uh, they started that back in the early 1900s. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was governor, and he approved that project uh, at the time. Uh, when the technology finally caught up with the ability to uh, actually make the river itself into the canal, uh, and they spent Actually, by the time they were done, it was a little over $100 million on the project to, uh, to convert it over. But it was fortunate timing, and there was a lot of pressure on them to complete that in time. But that did open for the season in 1918, and that gave them the ability to uh, build uh, ships in the shipyards in the Great Lakes and bring them down through the new barge canal system here uh, through the Mohawk Valley uh, uh, to take them into service, and uh, one of the things that used to come through here, uh, actually on a frequent basis, were the uh, subchasers that were built in the Great Lakes, and those were wooden hull ships, uh, saving steel for the uh, combat ships that were being built in some of the other shipyards. But the subchasers were used to uh, chase down the German U-boats that were used in World War One. So those came through the canal here quite frequently, and also uh, later on, there was a lot of uh, transport of grain and coal. Uh, through the canal also. Mm. And the canal was so important that the government had soldiers uh, guarding it, or at least a stretch uh, in the uh, area of the Mohawk Valley where Amsterdam is found. In fact, I did contribute a couple of pictures to you because I've written stories about my grandmother, Margaret Cook from Randall, who used to feed the soldiers who were uh, stationed in Yost to guard that particular uh, lock on the Barge Canal. Yes, definitely. the uh, The canal was a, was a key key uh, transport area here for the uh, for war materials, and as I say, for the ships coming through also. So yes, and uh, appreciate appreciate the uh, the use of the photos there. That uh, definitely that uh, we had uh, the, the uh, we had the uh, National Guard people here from the city, uh, Company H, that guarded all the way from uh, from the area up by the by Yost there in the noses. Uh, on the river all the way up to Utica, they were stationed, and uh, we have uh, your grandmother's picture there. Also, is uh, is one of the main pictures in the calendar there on one of the months. So, we appreciate that uh, a good good photo of that that we could use. We're talking with Jerry Snyder about the historic Amsterdam League Amsterdam Icons 2018 calendar. We'll have more with Jerry in just a moment. Here at the Historians Podcast. We depend on you, our listeners, to help us pay for production expenses. Please donate online at GoFundMe.com forward slash historians2018. Or you can send a check 
made out to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much. Jerry Snyder is our guest from Historic Amsterdam League. We're talking about their 2018 calendar, which pays tribute to the year 1918 in uh, Amsterdam history. Let's kind of hone in on uh, things in the calendar that have to do specifically with uh, World War I. Uh, One thing that uh, impressed me was the work you've done and and perhaps uh, more your your co-author, Rob von Hasselen, who's a military historian, uh, talking about aviation in World War I and uh, Amsterdam's involvement in that. I, I didn't realize that well, like uh, you mentioned, like three people who were uh, involved in uh, flying planes from Amsterdam in World War One. Yes, uh, and uh, as you mentioned, Rob Rob contributed a major portion of the military input to this, along with a lot of the a lot of the photos which he was able to uh, source on this. But uh, yes, uh, we uh, we did have a number of people that were in World War One and. Uh, as you mentioned, three of them that uh, three of them that were mentioned there uh, is uh, Ivan Ivan Wheaton. Uh, and if anyone has any of the old photographs from Amsterdam here, they've probably seen photos or cabinet fo- cabinet photos, the older ones that have Van Wheaton's name on them. Van Wheaton <laughs> was Ivan Wheaton's father, and Van was actually uh, commander of uh, the troops that guarded the canal, as, as you were mentioning before. Uh, and he was involved in the military here, the National Guard in the military uh, in Amsterdam. But Ivan Wheaton, uh, he was very interested in aviation, and uh, there's actually a photo of him uh, in the calendar. It says, uh, Amsterdam and first air flight. He actually had the opportunity. He went to uh, went to Florida to an aviation school and uh, took a... Uh, took an introductory flight, so to speak, as they used to advertise, uh, come uh, take an introductory flight in a Cessna and see if you like flying. He actually did that at an aviation school in, in uh, Florida, and he said after his first flight, he says, I'm going to be an aviator. And he actually went on to uh, do that, and uh, he became an instructor uh, in the Marine Corps and was one of their first uh, first aviators. Uh, he became a renowned uh, Marine aviator and uh, Earned himself uh, the uh, the cross for that, the uh, Distinguished Service Cross. So actually, he earned two of them. So he uh, he made himself quite the uh, quite the name for that, and uh, it was quite a quite an impressive uh, performance by what we, so we would say would be a hometown boy, I guess in this case. So uh, he did quite well, uh, quite well in that uh, area. Uh, another. Another uh, gentleman here from the city uh, was uh, Mr. Estabrook, and uh, he was very unusual in his his achievement. He was he was an observer and photographer, uh, and very few of them, the gentleman in the back seat of the plane, who observed movements and reported on troop movements and took photographs. Very few of them actually got the designation as an ace. Usually, it was the pilot of the plane. He actually was able to uh, shoot down in aerial combat uh, a sufficient number of planes that he actually was designated as an ace in his own right. Plus, he got several uh, several commendations for assisting uh, the pilot 
who was also uh, two different pilots who also achieved the same status. So he had quite an illustrious career also and received the Distinguished Service Cross for it. So there were quite a few uh, Amsterdam people that were involved in that. And then this was when aviation was just really coming of age. It was a brand new thing. Now, uh, also, it was a very special July 4th in 1918, uh, and you uh, pay tribute to that. Uh, the mayor, the then mayor of Amsterdam, Seely Conover, called on all the ethnic groups to participate, and that was kind of unusual for the time. And we're not talking like two or three. It was like seven or eight ethnic groups that took part in the 4th of July parade. Yes, um, uh, President Wilson had actually put out a proclamation uh prior to that, asking that uh, all of the different uh, groups from all the different allied nations that were involved in the war come together to display uh, a unity of democracy uh, type thing for the 4th of July and make it more of a, more than just an American holiday. And uh, it was celebrated in, you know, in the United Kingdom that year, and it was celebrated in France. Uh, but Seely Conover called together, uh, I think it was 18 different leaders from different ethnic groups here in the city and asked them to handle putting together the parade that year. And uh, the parade had over 6,000 participants in the parade itself, which uh, I can't imagine. I'm going to some of the parades that we've had here in the city, having 6,000 people actually participate in the parade. They had over 100 organizations in it. But uh, it was marched marched in by uh, all the different ethnic groups here in the city and all the different industrial groups. And it was quite the, quite the spectacular uh, parade that they put together. And then uh, the whole afternoon uh, was uh, events up at uh, Crescent Park with another eight to 10,000 people attending those. So it was quite the holiday. They said it was Amsterdam's greatest holiday celebration ever seen up to that point. I wonder what they did about the German-Americans, who were very plentiful and very loyal, but, you know, America was fighting Germany. The... Uh, the, the newspaper articles that I read said that they also participated. Uh, they were, as you say, they were very they were loyal Americans, and uh, they also uh, made it known that they uh, they considered themselves to be Americans first, and that they uh, they did participate, although it wasn't on the same level as as what these other groups had mentioned here. Mm. And you also um, have in the calendar information on. Amsterdam uh, casualties, I believe over 40 uh, died in, in World War I uh, fighting. And a lot of the deaths, correct me if I'm wrong, took place right toward the end, you know, just, uh, you know, not long before the armistice of uh, November 11th. Yes, uh, I think I think it was 42 that the records, and sometimes the records vary a little bit, but those are the ones that, that uh, we seem to be able to narrow it down pretty well. But a lot of the a lot of the deaths occurred right right near the end, and it seems that a lot of the a lot of the fighting occurred very close to the end. Um, I don't know if it was it, it became more desperate at that point. If uh, that's that's when they had the uh, the battle that broke through the Hindenburg Line, and uh, there was a lot of a lot of combat involved with that. Uh, that's that's really when I guess Germany began to understand that they weren't going to win the war, and uh, as I said, there might have been a lot of desperation involved in that, but uh, I know that's when uh, that's when James Bergen was was killed, and uh, that's when uh, John uh, Wisniewski uh, was killed in that battle. 
mm-hmm. at Hindenburg Line, and that was that was in the fall of uh, 1918, just before just before the armistice in November. So that was uh, that was kind of the whole wrap up. Uh, when it happened, it happened quickly. Uh, actually, it had been expected that the war was actually going to continue into 1919 for quite a while. So uh, when it, when it all happened, it happened pretty fast. That when the end came. Mm. And you also, in connection with the war, uh, you know, bring up several other factors, like on the home front. Uh, I was fascinated; had never heard of the the Liberty Ball, which was this big ball that they rolled through upstate New York, and the ball, of course, made a stop in Amsterdam. Yes, the the Liberty Ball that came, that came through in uh, came through in April, actually, and uh, it was. Uh, it was kind of the forerunner for the they're selling liberty bonds. It was the forerunner for what savings bonds, but the government had to finance uh, the war effort in some way. So they had five campaigns for liberty bonds to sell them to the public, and they used all kinds of different means of doing it. They had rallies and uh, parades, and they had uh, you know celebrity speakers and stuff. And this was kind of like a big publicity stunt, really, here in here in New York to uh, get people to. Uh, Buy Liberty Bonds for the uh, for the third campaign, and uh, the the infrastructure was very interesting because it worked from the top down. It was very well involved, but uh, very well laid out because each each community kind of had a quota assigned to it as to what they were what their target was for what the, that area would end up buying in terms of Liberty Bonds. And this ball was a publicity stunt, and uh, it was a seven foot diameter ball that actually they rolled all the way from Buffalo to New York City. And when it came to your town, it was uh, cause for a parade and speeches, and uh, it was rolled along the way by military people and Boy Scouts. And if you bought a Liberty Bond, the the deal was that you got to roll it a foot for every dollar worth of Liberty Bond bond you bought. And uh, it was uh, it was just a really a big publicity stunt, but it got people involved and the, with a the theme of keep the ball rolling. You know, keep uh, keep things moving along. Uh, support the war effort, and if you got uh, if your town uh, met its quota, then you got an honor flag that your town could fly for the uh, to show that you met your quota for it. And Amsterdam actually met their million dollar quota. They actually came in with a, at a million for that that bond campaign. Also, in the new calendar, which deals with 1918, you have uh, pictures and information on the worldwide influenza epidemic, which I believe it's correct to say uh, claimed more lives from Amsterdam than, than more casualties. Uh, but Amsterdam did not uh, have it as bad as some cities, and uh, you pay credit uh, to the health officer and also to good uh, nursing uh, care in the city. Yes, definitely. Uh, Amsterdam's mortality rate was only about a tenth of what the average was, actually. And uh, Amsterdam's health officer uh, and the city government, uh, the health officer convinced the city government to ban all public uh, assemblages. About the only public assemblage that still continued was St. Mary's uh, Mass. But all the schools were closed, all the theaters were closed down, some of the bond campaigns were uh, stopped, uh, get any public gatherings. Uh, and we had two, two, church, or two hospitals here that had very good nursing schools going on, so we had a lot of good nurses here in the city. And they offered very good care for people. We even had a temporary hospital set up in the East End to, to care for people. So we had good care for people, and uh, we were preventing the, the spread of contagions. And Dr. Hicks, who was, the, uh, who was the health officer, was also one of the early people that really believed in germ theory, too. 
and uh, you know, uh, keeping things clean, keeping your hands clean, and, and don't spread from one person to another. So, so that uh, that definitely helped helped out quite a bit in uh, preventing uh, preventing the spread of it. But world worldwide, somewhere they estimate between fifty and a hundred million people were killed by the flu. Mm. And one, I've done a couple or a story about the flu in Amsterdam. And looking at the newspaper clippings, it, it kind of amazed me that there's this big drop-off. You know, 1918 ends, and the the deaths from flu really uh, plummet. Yeah, it just se- it seemed like, and it's uh, it's been kind of a mystery right along as to it just kind of died out. It just all of a sudden it just kind of ran its course and and kind of died out. And it was a it was a very strange type of flu. It was a it was a version of the bird flu. And a few years ago, you remember there was a big uh, to do about bird flu, and uh, mm-hmm. people were concerned about it. This was actually a version of an avian flu that uh, that the what they call the Spanish flu, which is really a misnomer because it appears that it actually began in Kansas. And well, the end of your calendar or the month of of uh, December 2018, you devote to something completely different, kind of the world of entertainment. Uh, you you uh, uh, have pictures of uh, local uh, movie theaters, and these were silent movies, correct? Correct, yes, because uh, talkies were still about nine years away, but the war ended in in November, and December life was starting to come back a little bit to uh, back to normal again a little bit. So people were starting to uh, starting to try to get back to normal. And, uh, you know, movies are an escape from reality for everybody. They had been through the war and everything, and they needed a little bit, uh, something a little bit lighter and a little bit more uh, entertaining uh, to get away from things. So I uh, thought that was a good way to wind the calendar up, was to kind of take people away from, away from that. Couldn't get totally away from it, because a lot of the movies and everything are still, still have the war theme that we're involved with them, but we have comedies, we have... Uh, Romance. We have westerns. Uh, you got names like uh, Mary Pickford. You got Tom Mix. Uh, you got Elmo Lincoln, of course, in Tarzan in 1918. And we had uh, we had four major movie houses at the time. We had the uh, Rialto and the Regent and uh, the Amsterdam, which years later became Lurie's, of course. And uh, we had the Lyceum, which ended up uh, as the Mohawk. Most people remember it as that, with a strand in between it there. But uh, those were our four major movie theaters at the time. But yeah, it was going to be about nine years before we uh, before we uh, saw Al Jolson up on the screen. <laughs> right. Well, uh, Jerry, we we got a couple minutes left. I want to give you an opportunity to explain how people can uh, get this uh, calendar. Again, I think it's an outstanding job this year as usual. But uh, I, I, to me, it's one of the better ones I think that I, I've seen. Amsterdam Icons 2018. How can you get it? Uh, people can order it directly from the Historic Amsterdam League. If they go to our website, the details are all there, historicamsterdam.org. Uh, they can uh, send a check to uh, Historic uh, Amsterdam League at Post Office Box 132, Amsterdam, New York. Uh, calendars are $15. That includes uh, tax and postage. Uh, you can pick them up locally at uh, the Book Hound uh, on Main Street in Amsterdam. Uh, they're also available at uh, Liberty Fresh Market on Route 30 in Amsterdam. Uh, also at the uh, Amsterdam Free Library and at the Walter Elwood Museum gift shop. Mm. And the Historic Amsterdam League uh, is known for, for many things. What are some of the other projects you're working on? We just have a few seconds left. 
Well, uh, next next summer uh, in June, we're going to have our neighborhood tour again. Next year, we're going to be doing Market Hill and the northern neighborhoods. So we're going to try to cover the area probably from uh, about where uh, Brookside Avenue is over to about where the golf course is and cover the northern section of the city. That'll about do it, Jerry. Again, thanks very much for being with us. Okay, thank you, you, You bet. Jerry Snyder from Historic Amsterdam League talking about the Amsterdam Icons 2018 calendar. This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.